Alrighty, y'all. Happy afternoon or yeah, yeah. Happy afternoon on a Monday. Welcome back from break. Um, thanks for everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Wired podcast. Um, it is a um, combination of collaboration between the Lewis Walker Institute uh, for the Race and, of Study and Ethnic Relations and uh, Kalamazoo and Western's very own um, 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. Um, and to this rendition of this episode is, you know, in in respect to the holiday we just had um, and respect to what's happening in our local news today, um, we have um, some esteemed guests here to talk about uh, the true meaning behind Thanksgiving, um, the story um, and hints of colonization and assimilation and kind of how that triggers our society today. Um, so I'm your host for today's evening, Taylor West. I'm going to continue to host these podcasts, so you're going to be familiar with me, but I want uh, to give everyone else a chance to kind of introduce themselves on the call. We do have this collaboration with our, um, with a new RSO on campus, uh, Student Action Alliance, um, but none of the uh, members could make it tonight. So we actually have some members that are not a part of that RSO, which is cool. Um, so without further ado, I'll just, we could just do a quick whip around. Um, if you want to give your name and kind of role um, that you have at the university. <laughs> I guess I'll go first. I am Dr. Betty Dennis. I'm the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the College of Health and Human Services. And I'm also one of the faculty in the School of Interdisciplinary Health Programs. Hi, my name is Amir Dennis. Um, I am a graduate student in organizational change leadership. I also work um, in uh, multicultural affairs for students um, as a uh, academy leader for the MLK Academy. Hi all, my name is Gigi Stahl. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a graduate student in the, in the social work program. And I also work as a diversity, equity, and inclusion program specialist for a school district in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Cool, thank you all for being here on, a, uh, on a, our recording night. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of dive into the first question and feel free to also ask questions. Um, if something sparks you, this is just a general conversation. Our listeners may, may take away um, some nuggets and some specialized things that you all are gonna, gonna throw out in this discussion. So um, first question I have on the table is, um, what do you know about the history of Thanksgiving today as compared to the first time you learned about it in secondary education? Because I think that's when we all got introduced to it, maybe even kindergarten. Um, but what do you know about kind of the difference in, you know, as you grow up, what you learned about Thanksgiving now compared to when you were a child? Well, um, some things that I was told was um, the pilgrims and the Native Americans got together and they ate and that was Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then as I got older, I was like, oh, that is not what happened at all. Um, and it wasn't as simple, but I do think the concept um, of being thankful and all of us being together um, can still you know, live on and be alive and well. Mm 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think the um, the actual um, understanding of the holiday has changed really in any way. Um, nobody really talks about it from that perspective anymore. It feels like at least it's just more of um, it's a time to be thankful. It's a time to be grateful. Um, but no one really goes back into the history of how it started, what happened to the Native American people. Um, and, and so it has become, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, you know, commercialized so that we don't have to, almost so that we don't have to talk about um, the horrific, um, the horrific incidences that happened to the Native American people. So now we just really talk about what's, um, um, how we can be thankful and how all of our families can get together. I would agree in that larger narrative of thankfulness and gratitude being a large piece of what this celebration has kind of turned into. Um, I feel like I have a little bit different experience when it comes to the schooling piece. My dad was a history teacher growing up. So a lot of times he would preview his documentaries or whatever he was going to show in class at home. So I was the student who was primed coming into class to be like, well, my daddy said that this isn't true and this is what really happened. So I feel like I had a really like robust exposure to what really happened at the beginning. But as I've grown up, I've learned more explicitly about what some of those things looked like. Yeah, I think all of you are saying some really important pieces, especially like around the the theme of thanks and, and being thankful. Like um, my family always asks question about what are we thankful for? And, you know, I'm always like my education, my family and all of that. So I think like that theme is so awesome. And then like, but then going into the deeper history and the root of kind of what Thanksgiving, what the event was and kind of like Amira, how you said like breaking bread. That's what I learned it to be. Like the pilgrims and the native Americans kind of like shared some resources, shared some food, including, and had a great time. But then as I grew up, I learned that it was really not a great time. And there was really not all like, I guess, kumbaya, everything was peaceful in the field um, because there was a lot of betrayal in it. And then I'm reading all of these kind of ethnographies and, and, um, and historical back like his um uh stories like pertaining and talking about um historic like america's upbringing in the united states coming about and and it's just it's it's very different from what i learned about kind of the the history of native americans in that sense but um yeah so Gigi, kind of touching on what you were saying about um education and kind of you having a different um perspective coming into it and, and you know your dad providing some tips to you to bring to school and educate others. Um, what, in this kind of extends to the whole group, um, what is your opinion on institutions, you know, secondary, higher ed, um, their approach for introducing the truth behind Thanksgiving? So I know, especially my DNI coordinators and, and educators and mentors on the call, you know, that's all of you. What do you all think about that? And what is your role in that, you know, in, in educating um, the community on? on Thanksgiving or Native American history? I can kind of jumpstart on this one. So part of my role is to support curriculum development 
um, across K-12. So one of my projects I, I worked on this last month was supporting our kindergarten teachers and revamping their curriculum rollout for the month of November, just to really ensure that we weren't substituting like pacified versions of history. Um, because it, from in my perspective, it's more important to to teach the truth than it is to teach a a fake version of something. So if we feel like developmentally kids aren't ready for you know the gruesome details of some of the things that happened, uh, then it's better to teach that later on in their development than to tell them a fake version. Um, so we really worked on how do we you know build curriculum that's age appropriate but also tells the truth. Um, and most of that really looked at just centering the story different. So instead of starting this conversation with kindergartners about like the history of Thanksgiving begins with pilgrims talking about like Wampanoag lived in this space for, you know, hundreds of years. And this is some of the, you know, practices that they had. And this is what the, the land looked like while they were tending it. And then this group of people showed up one day and they were hurting really bad. Um, and they needed someone to help them not die. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they were taught how to farm and, you know, building this different perspective in, in the order of the story, I think was a powerful piece that we got to, to play a role in this year. And I know in our college, in the College of Health and Human Services, the um, Native American Student Organization Association is doing a fabulous job of um, bringing, not so much, I, I won't say um, speaking directly about Thanksgiving, but it's certainly always bringing Native American speakers or um, um, Native American heritage to the college so, so that people are more aware of what, um, what they have to offer and what, what our history, their um, so that we're not um, ignorant to it and just assume that we know um, because for the most part, I just don't think that, that as um, the other speaker said, that we've done a good job even as children, teaching children the, the actual um, history of our country and how um, all of us played different roles in in its um, in the beginning. So, and how to be truthful about that. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the um, critical race theories um, come into play, but are also but are also shunned in a lot of ways because um, a, a lot of people don't want to want to know or want to share that information and have kids understand um, how this country was really, really formed, so. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. You know, it's, I, I wish that there was um, more, um, the curriculum was a bit different um, when I was younger because it wasn't until um, middle school when you know you're reading a book and it's such an abrupt thing to see that um, our country's history was really is really quite different from what you've been learning in elementary school. Um, and you're reading the book, and I remember I rose my hand and I was like, 
this, this is bad, you know, um, and the teacher kind of brush past it, you know, I think there's way too much of like, well, let's gloss over um, murder, um, genocide, those kinds of things, um, slavery, those kinds of things. Um, and let's just get to the presidents or something, you know, I think there's way too much glossing over um, of things. And so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that the curriculum, um, if we would at least you know, be a little bit more honest um, with children and, and tell them that it's it's important to know all of it, not just some of it. I love everything that has been shared. And I think like one of the interesting parts about doing this work in Wisconsin is that they have, um, I wish I could remember the name of the, the bill, but signed into law here is a requirement to teach Native American history. And it's pretty specific which is cool from, you know, my position to really advocate for this curriculum change in, in classrooms. Um, but I think the part that is most interesting at like the elementary level is that when I meet with those teachers, the big thing we talk about is like for kindergartners and first graders, especially in places that don't have a lot of racial diversity, um, you are their initial exposure to other. And it's critical that that exposure um, is done in a way that's that sparks curiosity and empathy and compassion as they continue to grow, you know, into older adults. And it's challenging to do that if, you know, you legitimately have a child in your classroom and the first time they ever see, you know, someone who might look different than them is this conversation about slavery, right? Um, so we really want to make sure that that's not what's happening in our schools. And I think the other big piece that we truly tried to hit on that I think is interesting in this conversation um, is just figuring out what is the difference um, between like appreciation and appropriation and in how we learn about things in schools like can we dress up or cook food um, that doesn't belong to us in a way that is okay um, or is that always off the table and how can we know that Yeah, I think that's um, that's a critical point um, because we we got to have a there's got to be a way um, that we can all learn about and be concerned about one another and um, and it and and it has to be um, and I wish I knew the answer but there has to be a way that we can appreciate each other's cultures um, without, without making fun of them, um, but actually really appreciate and, and um, become um, involved even um, in, in those different cultures. So um, I, I, wish, I wish our country was better suited at doing that as opposed to um, it's, it's always some sort of divide. It, it's like, this is mine, this is yours, instead of us really coming together and really um, being, like, like you said, being appreciative of all that's, that different people have brought to who we are as, as a country.
Yes, this is all so powerful and so very important. Um, and I just want to thank our listeners for tuning in again to WMU's own 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. Um, we are heading into our next question um, because Dr. Dennis brought up a really good point about appreciation of each other's cultures. And um, the topic of our conversation is, is structured around assimilation and colonization. So I want to loop in this assimilation piece. For our listeners who don't know what assimilation is, assimilation is the definition um, from Google. <laughs> is the process of taking in and fully understanding information or ideas. And the way I like to think about it is, um, you know, this idea of like the melting pot. Um, America, you know, you come to America and we all we have just mixed our cultures together, right? And that all seems like a great idea. It seems like a, a beautiful idea. No, that's wrong. It, it brings in this underlying nastiness of manifest destiny and um, how the United States is, is like the superior. And if we all come together and blend together, we'll create this thing. Well, assimilation is essentially creating um, this limited space for people to expand their cultures um, and, to, and to have their own individuality um, to fit this, this concise nature of, of the American culture. Um, and so assimilation um, limits people's individuality. And that's the way I see it personally. Um, but I'd like to, um, to get your thoughts on assimilation um, and then maybe some factors or what contributes to, to assimilation in the United States and some ideas you've seen. You know, I, I've never really, um, I, I never really took, grabbed hold of that word assimilation when it comes to our cultures. Um, and, and I recognize that people want to believe that we are um, a melting pot. Um, but to me, that that means that my, my culture um, gets lost. And, and we've even seen it in other depictions of, um, of salads. Instead, our, our country should be like a salad where every single part, the lettuce, the tomato, every single part is, is appreciated. And, and um, there's its own flavor and, it, and that flavor bring something different to the salad. And that's how I see our different cultures. Not that we have to be all, um, all one culture, but that we're many cultures and, and that's what makes up our country. And, and we value each and every culture. Um, and, and, um, and so to me, it's just important that you see me um, I identify as a black person, as a black woman. And so I want you to see that. I want you to see that part who I am in that way. And I don't want to, I don't want you to judge me for it, negatively judge me for it, but I certainly want you to appreciate, um, appreciate my culture, appreciate my hair, appreciate all of the parts of me um, as I would you if you were. Um, whatever culture you are. And so, um, so I personally, that's just me, uh, but I personally struggle with that word assimilation.
So this is something that I feel like comes up in my work often working with teens um, and just in a lot of different ways. Like how do we decide who we are and how we want to show up and what is the risk involved in that? And when I think about assimilation, you know, regarding race and culture, um, the thing that popped in my head when I first heard this question is that the four eyes of oppression um, and I'm really bad at citing my sources. I cannot remember who you know I originally read this from, but they talk about the four eyes of oppression being ideological, internalized, interpersonal, and institutional. And when I think about assimilation, I think about power being held in each of those four areas and this draw to find connection or relate to the identities that are in power in any of those four areas. And I think what becomes challenging for folks is that a lot of times that is this like white dominant narrative. Um, and so then even from a young age, people have this conscious or unconscious decision to, you know, up, assimilate to this dominant culture or to really live out, you know, the identity that they hold. And when we're in spaces where people can really support us in showing up as our authentic selves, I, I do believe that makes it a lot easier. But having that larger you know, cultural peace in the United States, I think, puts an extra challenge to that. You're exactly right. I mean, for us to um, to only see America as one culture, um, just to me, doesn't make sense. And so, um, when when we are um, made to feel like when people are made to feel like they don't have a voice, they don't have um, their culture is not valued. Um, it, it's it, it's unfair, and and um, and that's what really diversity, equity, and inclusion is about. It's about the willingness, the, the appreciation, the desire to want to see your culture of whatever culture that is as important. And, um, and when we don't do that, it makes it difficult. And I think that's why we always struggle in this country um, because there only one, possibly one um, culture wants to be recognized and, and for someone to say, I'm, a, I'm American and say they're white, I'm American and then, but I'm not American as a black person. I'm not American as a native American person. I'm not American as a Latino American person in all of the other cultures that we have here. And, and so that, that just doesn't, it doesn't sit well, it doesn't make sense. Um, and so um, you get back to your question, Taylor, but I just think I, I think it's important that we recognize and appreciate all of the different cultures and, and blending us doesn't make sense. No, I'm gonna get you, no, that's fine. I, I love when we go on, on rants and we, and we, you know, amen. Going, going in and I hope our listeners are taking some notes and, and getting these nuggets. Um, but I do want it cause I'm just going with the role and what you all are talking about um, and, and hopping off you and Gigi. The next question I had was, what are some examples we see today in our federal and local um, leadership? And I know that we can bring up a current event that most recently happened, a certain verdict. Um, 
um, that that people have been um, talking about recently in our community. Um, and and I want to I want to kind of hear your thoughts on how how um, the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict can can play into this idea of um, assimilation and even um, just kind of this large broader version of like you know the American dream and Americans even foundations and how you know this verdict serves as a wrong message to some communities. Oh, yeah, this is, um, this is a tough one. Um, it's a tough one because um, the majority of us know that had um, Rittenhouse been any other skin color, um, that he would be in jail right now. And that's what makes it so difficult um, because the system does not work for people who have darker skin color. And, um, and so, yeah, this, this one, um, like any other injustice always cuts deep because it's always a, um, another, um, it, it's another indication that the system does not work for, or it only works for, um, only works for whites. And unfortunately, I had um, um, a person tell me, a white male tell me that it's not his fault that the system works for him. And, um, and so I just have to accept that. And I really, I, I just don't believe that we should accept it. And I believe that there should be um, protests and I believe there should be um, um, appeals and concerns raised and, and, um, and, and somebody needs to look at the fact that this system, this judicial system um, is just not, it does not, it is not fair. Um, and, and if it had been a person of color who had done the same thing, um, he would have gotten the maximum amount of time. And, and so um, we've, we've got to think differently about our system and, um, and who we put on juries. And, and you know, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a sad, unfortunate uh, decision that was made for, in this particular case. I was listening to a podcast right before this actually about, um, you know, this ruling and what that means for Wisconsin as a state. And then, you know, just some of this conversation nationally. And um, it was a podcast with um, three black women and they were talking about just the challenge of having space to even really process what has happened and this need for, you know, allies in other racial groups to really step in to, to support here. Um, and one of the women is named Nada and she, she brought up this idea of, you know, just straight up asking some of the folks she worked with, like, do you love any black people? Like, are there black people in your life who you love? Um, because how can you organize and show up for black folks if you don't know how to love them intimately? And I feel like that really shows up in a lot of our systems when this like lack of, of space for people to be seen as full and in their, you know, their full humanity um, it doesn't allow for um, people to mess up or to make, you know, any type of choice 
um, when they're black, where it does in spaces for white folks. Um, I've heard a lot of what you were sharing about, like if, you know, Rittenhouse was of a different race, that this would have gone different. And I can't agree with that more. Um, but I think back to the original incident, I don't think he would have walked out of that protest if he had shown up black and armed um, with a gun in that way. And I think that's, that's the part that speaks the loudest to me is that it isn't even a matter of it getting to the courtroom. It's all of the other things that build up to it even arriving there. Like we know that the laws are written a certain way and that if people are skilled enough, they can exploit them, you know, to do what they want. But Absolutely. it's all the things that lead up to it. Absolutely. There is no way that a black man, um, even at 17 years old, would be able to to grab a an um, armed gun and arm themselves. There's no way that a black man, um, three black men, could have chased down a jogger in in a community and said, um, "We're we're making a citizen's arrest because." We heard that you're um, stealing something at a at a construction site. You are absolutely right. There is no way that um, that this would have ever gotten to that point because we don't we and I say we as a collective um, group of people we are not given that type of um, we're we're not seen like that and we're not given that type of freedom to to do what what these white men have been allowed to do so I completely agree with you on that yeah it's just it gets to the point where it's just really frustrating um and it's exhausting you know um I don't think people truly understand the the toll on um people's mental health when it comes to these things because you feel like I guess even for myself, you you know, I, I, I'll joke to friends and family, like I'm moving, you know, um, because it makes you just want to leave. It makes you feel like, um, how can, how could I raise a, a child um, as a black woman? How could I raise a black man here? There's just no way. Um, the system has told him that he's nothing. Um, if he would want to do something, he would be told that, um, he was less than already, um, let alone being a black woman. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's sad because we've worked really hard to get to a space where, um, there has been a lot of good, no doubt about it. But again, it's the system as a whole that has, uh, that has, it's going to continue to hurt us unless we change it. Um, unless we think about who we vote for, unless, um, like Dr. Dennis said, uh, you know, who's on these juries? Who Who is being able to uh, manipulate this system? All of those things. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's painful and it's sad and um, it's just not right. Yeah, and I'll, I'll jump in here, especially um, I'm a MSW uh, master's social work um, student at the Kalamazoo Defender's Office. So being a um, social worker, kind of in the legal system, in the court system, and kind of seeing all the working parts, like I'm, I'm getting up in there. Like, let me just say that I don't have much experience in the judiciary, um, but I specifically wanted to, you know, use my time in my MSW to um, 
to really try to to try to um, find my place in the court system. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, I have the passion to become a judge and, and really create some like positive reform uh, to our criminal justice system, making it about like humans instead of about cases and criminals. Um, and with that, it's just like, how do we get to this this space where um, manipulations going down? You know what I'm saying? How do we get prosecutors? How do we get judges to not try to put throw people in jail? You know, and not see them as terrible, awful people who need to be off the street because um, the deaf and I looked up the definitions of like the court and the sub correctional system is to like rehabilitate actions away from criminal behavior. Would you all say that our <laughs> sub um, correctional system and courts do that rehabilitate behavior? No, because um, the United States is number one for retention <laughs> for recidivism rates. Right. There's no, um, and, and I'll go back to what I said um, and what your other guests talked about um, is that it's important that we have allies. And so I, I'll go back to the person that I was talking about who said, um, the white man who said to me, it's not my fault that um, the system works for me. Well, this it is your fault. If you don't, um, try to make it better for someone else, then it is your fault. And, and so that's what I'm hoping the, certainly that whites start looking at is, is um, not just calling themselves an ally, but actually being an ally and, and standing up to prejudice and um, discrimination when they see it and calling it out and being um, actually doing the work that it takes um, to, to help people and to help um, change systems. So that, that's going to be um, a part of what really has to happen. Certainly, um, there needs to be more people like you, Taylor, who are getting involved in these um, systems and making change and desiring to go, um, to, go to law school, to become a judge, that that's absolutely um, is necessary for us to make change. In right. addition, right. in addition, we need white folks to step up and say, you know, this isn't right. This isn't right. And so the protesters who might be in Wisconsin can't only be people of color. It has to be white people saying this is not right. And we need to get that judge out of out of this position so so that that to me is going to this is a part of of changing the system as well yeah i i completely agree i think that especially um um, health and human service providers have this special or we try to have this special perspective cultural competence cultural humility trying to see things from different perspectives instead of just this narrow lens and seeing this diverse colorful array of of opportunities and i feel like this america structure of law and order is not allowing that space to grow however i think we have grown i think we have grown you know from from years, um, but I do think we have a lot of more ways to go because we still are in this this low point of of criminality and how do we define a 
define a criminal and and accountability going back to what you said uh, dr dennis like who is accountable is the prosecutor accountable is the judge accountable like who 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 holds the highest law accountable it's like this kind of unwavering uneasy mess and chaos and where the average citizen is really just being um, I don't want to say controlled, but almost like almost like a puppeteer. And that's what I'm feeling like this is. It's kind of just like like going back to the Kyle, the Rittenhouse verdict. Like I couldn't even watch it. And I guess I'll I'll open this up to the group. But are you were you all surprised about the verdict? Because I wasn't personally. Um, and I remember asking all my friends, like, were you all surprised? Like my mom was completely shocked, absolutely like jaw dropped on the floor. And I was like, I couldn't tell you I was surprised, not even a bit. Um, you know, I was, um, I, I like you, I, I haven't been watching these cases. Um, they actually, uh, I'll go back to what Amir said. They're exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, they actually make my stomach turn and, um, and they affect my mental health. And so I choose not to, um, I have I've chosen not to be um, and actively just sitting at, you know, sitting on CNN, watching this every single moment um, because it just it makes me it, 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 it damages my psyche, to be honest with you. Um, what what was I surprised um, in a lot of ways? I I was. Um, but sadly, that part of me that goes, you know, they're just not going to be right. Um, was, it, it came out of me, too. And and I hate to generalize a whole group of people like that. And so um, so I, I'm, I'm certainly sitting here going, this is this is terrible. It's saddening. It. Um, it saddens me and, and it, um, and I, I sit here and I, with, with my own children, um, even though they're adults and they'll make it on their own, um, it saddens me to think that they're, they have to be in a system, um, that's going to treat them this way. And, um, and so, I, I still, being the mother of um, Black children, Black, black women, and, and a Black man, um, it still bothers me. It's, it, still, um, it still concerns me. It actually still scares me um, that they're going to have to live in this system um, the way it is now. And, and so, um, I, yeah. I mean, I was surprised, but I, I was more saddened and still am. I, I don't know if you can even hear that in my voice, but I'm, I'm very sad about the whole thing. Yeah, when, when I first asked the question, I knew I knew you were going to have something to say about it because you did that sigh and, that, and I felt that in my bones, I can tell you. Um, but yeah, I'll open up the space for anyone else to give your feelings on the verdict if you didn't have a chance to um, in relation to assimilation. I heard a quote the other day that said, like, the beauty of living in an unjust world is the, the ability to create uh, what we need instead, or something to that effect from Ali Muldrow. And 
like in this moment, I'm just like, man, this sucks though. <laughs> like That's a cool quote, but I'm not having a good time um, because it, it was one of those moments where I have to hold on to hope because this is my work, you know, and it's my life. Um, I exist in Wisconsin as a, you know, mixed race black woman. Um, so I have to hold on to that hope, not only for myself, but for the other, you know, black and brown people that I love. Um, but then I also live in this world and I love black and brown people and I've seen what happens. So I wasn't surprised, um, when I saw the verdict, but it was just that, you know, the, the shoe hitting the floor, um, it, it just hurts. Yeah. And, um, kind of going back to this idea of accountability and kind of like the future. And I think about kind of my descendants and like, what are they going to have to deal with? You know, is it going to get crazier? Are we going to end up in some, another civil war, you know, like what's going to happen. And, it's, you know, it takes people to, to, to speak up and to, and, you know, to change the, the order of things and say like, things aren't working. Like we know they're not working and this is why we need change. And I do feel hope in the new generation. I do. Cause um, we see when things aren't, you know, when things are kind of stupid and, and we, and we say it out loud, especially Gen Z and millennials. Um, <laughs> and I'll, and I'll say that fully, but um, kind of going back to the accountability part, um, especially what you were saying, Dr. Dennis, about um, coming from a place of, you know, power and privilege specifically. I know I've had talks with my supervisors at the defender's office who, you know, identify as white and may have, you know, different positions of power, especially stemming from male to female and all of that. Um, and just looking at how much we've gotten done and like differences and who's gotten it done and all of that and kind of coming to this realization of my privilege is creating pathways and how can I use my privilege for more opportunity. And I think it takes people from privileged backgrounds to have that realization instead of um, saying it's just, it's not my fight, you know, but putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation. And I do think it may be useful to target situations in that instance. Like um, we, um, as a part of our master's program, we have to develop like this big project plan. And um, I've been working with my supervisor to kind of develop this training for attorneys um, to therefore, because, you know, they're the connections to the courts and stuff, to influence judges to see people to, more than just their cases, to see them as individuals. Um, so instead of like the meth addict, you'd see them as a person who ended up on a street homeless and used meth as a way to not be sexually assaulted or, you know, killed in the middle of the night because they're living on the street, you know, see their story beyond that. And I think that it takes, it's going to take, you know, it's not going to just happen overnight and stuff like that, but it's an uphill battle and it's, and it's going to take people beyond that. And I, I think back to the BLM movement, especially, I remember seeing so many videos of protesters, but specifically uh, white bodies on the line. And it was almost like cops were like, so confused. It was like a glitch in the system or in the matrix. Like, yeah, cause obviously they were thinking that the people of color were the ones targeting and, and all of that. But when, when people privilege put their body on the line it created this like realization a snap almost and it's almost like the system's cracking and I was so it was so monumental to see that and I almost cried seeing that a couple of times in the videos but I something was telling me it wasn't gonna last long um especially with the factors of the pandemic and quarantine and everyone not being able to go to work and then having this you know all state protest BLM protest we've never seen that happen before I just don't know how we can get that motivation to keep going in this uphill battle. You know what I'm saying? Especially with all of these implications and subtle and latent hints of assimilation and colonization rooted in our America's foundation. 
Well, I think that's why it's important, at least for Black people and probably for others as well, to know our history as, as, as well, you know, because we've got to know that it was, it, it's all of these people who've come before us who have kept fighting in, in this um, and, and put themselves out here. And so from the civil rights movement beyond till now even, um, that we've got to keep fighting. There's no way that we can sit back and accept that, um, that this is just because it has happened there are written cases like Rittenhouse and, and there are cases, um, we don't know the Ahmaud Aubrey's um, outcome yet, but we know that these haven't been the first time um, that these things have happened. And we've got to keep fighting in order for it to, to be the last time. And we've got to keep calling, um, calling it out and and um and other people like i said before um whites are going to have to get involved in this fight and um and so i i don't believe that we should ever um see these cases happen and just go oh well the system will never work for us well the system didn't work for us back in the 60s um, and people fought and, and now it works a little bit better and it'll work a little bit better in, the, in, in years to come if we keep fighting. So I don't think that these, these, are, um, these are situations that make us sad, but they don't, they don't push us out of the ring. Again, very, very powerful. I kind of wanted to loop back to our earlier question that kind of started all this about um, examples that we see today in our local and federal leadership about, um, you know, contribute um, contributions or factors that aid assimilation. Um, what do you all think about uh, Biden's declare on Col um, Columbus Day and, and Indigenous Peoples Day taking place on the on the same um, day? What do you all think about that? Do you believe it should have taking place on different days? What do you all feel about kind of the holidays? I'm just trying to get a gist because I have some opinions. <laughs> I want to see what you all are thinking. I mean, I appreciate it, um, President Biden, but you have to understand that I um, have appreciated him for a long time. And so, um, and so to me, it was his way of, um, of saying that, um, I recognize, and we as a country should recognize that um, Columbus, um, maybe we can't get rid of Columbus Day, which is what I think we should do, but um, we can say, no, this is really what it is. And so I appreciated him recognizing indigenous people and, um, and putting it on the same day so that you have to have the conversation. If you're going to have um, um, something in school, um, in your curriculum, in the um, in elementary school that speaks to Columbus Day, then you really are going to have to talk about indigenous people too. 
And so I, I appreciated him for that. Yeah, I agree. Um, we got to recognize everybody. Uh, that That's just the America that we live in. Everybody lives here. And so if there is a month, a day, a week, whatever it may be for a certain group of people, then we need to celebrate everybody. And um, I don't think it's, it's fair to only um, want to make holidays. We can make holidays for everything. National Donut Day, National Puppy Day. We just been making up holidays. So I don't, so I don't see any problem with, with adding a few more. And especially if it is um, uplifting and loving up on the people that live here. My opinion on it is really twofold because um, I agree with everything that's been said that it's super important to acknowledge people um, and to provide like a structural platform for that to be sustained. And I think the challenge that comes with that is like, what is the action and that supports that? Um, and, you know, I see that in schools a lot of time, like if we have a state level change in our curriculum requirement, what is the training and resource support that our teachers get? in order to be able to you know, build environments that can host conversations that are productive about like, well, let's talk about the difference between Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. Because uh, there wasn't anything that came out with that to provide the support for the teachers to facilitate that conversation in their classrooms or for parents to facilitate that conversation with kids at home or caregivers. Um, so I think that's the part that, that misses the mark for me um, and where it gets kind of dangerous, like is this performative activism or are you actively working as an anti-racist? And I don't have a good answer for that. Yup, that was it. Thank you for pulling in those different perspectives on all sides. I, I love it. I think all of you had some really, really important pieces to um, add and, and perspectives, especially um, in your different roles as leaders. Um, so we we got to the nitty gritty. We talked about some tough things, um, but I appreciate everyone sharing their thoughts, even though you know it may have been hard to or brought brought up some feelings, you know. Um, but I have some kind of light, more lighthearted questions to carry us out, especially um, as we're coming back from break and as we continue to think about um, being thankful and thinking about you know advocacy is kind of stemming from this discussion and kind of like you know getting getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and fighting the the um, the systems and that oppress um, people and have been oppressing people for generations. Um, but kind of some more light, lighthearted questions and something to really think about and continue on for the rest of the semester um, going into the holiday season. Um, two parter. What are you thankful for? And how do you show thanks and gratitude to others? Um, I'm truly thankful for my family. Um, I am, and so I am um, a spiritual person. I am a Christian. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And um, and so I really think about, um, when I think about holidays, I really do try to um, really think about how much God has been good to us and, and how um, he's brought us through so many um, tough times. 
um, and we're still we're still making it. And 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 now it's important for me to, and it's been important for me um, to to role model for others and for my children. Um, that it's really now time to give back to other people. Um, we we have have been, you know, God has been good to us, and and um, and so how how we are thankful is to make sure that we give back to other people, and that might be time. That certainly will be financially, um, but it is it's not just during this time, and that's what I what I hope to leave as a mark um, if, if I ever, you know, want, want people to remember me or recognize me for is that it's just not around the holidays that I'm concerned about other people. I'm always trying to be available for other people. I'm always trying to encourage other people. I always want to um, make sure that, that, and whatever I do, I'm I'm thinking about somebody else and how they're going to um, how they're going to be successful. How they're going to how how are they going to impact this world? And and um, so to me, being grateful is not just a one time a year thing, um, but it it is every single day. I have a. a a little placard in my office that says, find the good in every day. And so to me, in order to find the good in every day, I've got to be thinking about somebody else um, because this, the reality is it's not just about me, it's about other people. And so, especially kids, I, I, want, to, um, I want to impact little kids and I, and I want to help them to see that people who are different than they are, people who are um, disabled, who are different colors, all of us are valued. And, and so that's, that's, how I, that's how I live my life is that I wanna give back to other people. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. I um yeah, I'm thankful um just to be alive, you know, uh with a pandemic. Um our country has been through so much. Um to I mean, stuff has been on fire. We've had shootings, we've had just um I'm just thankful to be here. Um and that is how um, I have been kind of living as I'm thankful, not just that I'm here, but that everyone else is here too, um, kind of picking it, backing off of Dr. Dennis, but uh, it's not just about me. Uh, and so, and, and being giving and kind and loving and um, appreciative of people shouldn't just be sometimes or when the Christmas lights come out, you know, um, because people need it every day. People are out here struggling and they're hurting and they're mourning. And so uh, as much love as we can give, um, 
even if for some people, if that is around this time where you give the most love, we'll give it all, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm just thankful to be here and I'm thankful for even y'all on this call um, and being alive and, and impacting people every day. I love that you said you're thankful for people on this call, because as I was thinking about like, what am, what am I really, really grateful for right now? I think it's just, you know, space to be seen, valued and heard as my full self. Um, and I continue to appreciate that more and more. And I'm so grateful every day that I have people that I can connect with that way, whether it's a, you know, a FaceTime or a phone call or a text message in my professional and personal life. I, that is one of the things that I think keeps me grounded in this work and allows me to wake up every day and decide to keep going and continue showing up, you know, for other folks. It's that balance of being able to have the space where I can, you know, take the world off my shoulders and sit down for a minute before I go back out again. And I think, you know, the ways that I really try and express my gratitude or, you know, give back is, is through my work um, and getting to be, you know, one of the only Brown administrators in my school district and, you know, taking the responsibility in that and showing up for students and being a voice that advocates for them and creating, you know, sustainable systems that they can, you know, show up and be themselves. Um, for me, I would say I'm thankful for just opportunity. I find myself as a graduate student kind of chaotically organized, as we like to say, um, not really knowing up from down, but still pushing through. And can you believe the semester is almost over? Because I can't. Um, so I'm just thankful for making it this far um, and having such great uh, support and opportunity in Kalamazoo that I didn't think I would have, especially after grad school, but I found my kind of niche. Um, and with that, I, I, I'd say that um, I'm also thankful for all their listeners on the call, by the way. We're so thankful for you for being dedicated to listening. Um, and in terms of how do we show thanks and gratitude to others, um, I feel like, and I can speak for the Lewis Walker uh, Institute as a whole by, by kind of doing the, these podcasts and, and providing spaces for students to just chat and to get things off of their chest, especially when um, things hit our community uh, really close to home and we may not have the spaces in our workplace or even in our, our home lives to talk about it. So um, I hope podcasts like these and more opportunities. Um, we have Lunch and Learns happening at the first Friday of the month. The next one's on the third. Um, and I hope you engage in your community to find your niche and to, and to um, have opportunities like this to, to be your full self, like Gigi said. So I'm thankful for everybody on the call for sharing all your perspectives um, and giving um, some tips and, and wisdom to um, our students. And hopefully students that you were listening, you resonated with some of it and you took away something. Um, and I hope you all continue to think about um, how you show gratitude to others and what you're thankful for um, as we finish out the semester strong. Um, again, thanks, thanks to our uh, panelists for, for for participating and thanks for our listeners for tuning in. Tune in not next week, but the week after for more riveting discussion um, on the next episode of the Wired Podcast, only on 89.1 WIDR um, Kalamazoo.